all have a blessed Christmas. I don't think it's Year. wrong to say Merry Christmas after this Christmas. Week, as we're changing from 2021 to 20, We had a wonderful Christmas in addition to our family, our first Christmas with Emmeline. Uh, three girls. Wow. That's a lot of strong feelings. This morning we're going to look. So today we're going to be reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting at verse 1. We're also looking at the most famous passage in the book of... For everything there is a season, and a time for everything under heaven. We're going to be taking a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Let's pray. God, you know that this year was going to be tough for most of us folks. Whether it's a death of a loved one, or a sickness, or surgery, or financial issues, or relationship issues, whatever it may be, Lord, you have equipped us with everything we need Proverbs to get through our storms in life. Your provision is it's perfect like in our need. Create in us a, a sense right of, thing, of wonder right and excitement time, for what you have for us in 2022. Proverbs 15, we pray that you would encourage us. We pray that you we pray that you would encourage our pastor, our elders, all of our church families, our ministries. Bless James our church, Lord, use those words, this but holiday season and beyond with your love and peace. And not his Help us to rely on you in whatever we are going through right now. So we pray for those who are sick in our church. We pray for those who are struggling, those who are recovering, and God, just those who are searching for you. Father, we pray that you come now and come quickly, Lord, to help those people that are in just need right now, Lord. Wise Provide us with rest and joy. Timing. Remind us of our hope and peace that we have in you. Refresh today, our souls and, and give us the energy to encourage others and to be the light in the this dark world. Really and as you do that, prepare our hearts for everything, for everyone that's hearing this message and this service today that we would see you through the gospel this morning, maybe for the first time. Please help your word to take root in our hearts that we can't help but feel you working in our lives. Remove any distractions that, that may affect us from taking you in this morning, Father. We pray for Pastor Duncan that he would deliver this message to you the way that you want it delivered and the way you want it to fall upon our ears. Today, we want to thank you for sending us Jesus, born in a barn from an ordinary woman, to be the Savior, our Savior, who forgives our sins, who took our place later and would suffer a terrible death on the cross for us, for each of us, every single one of us, Lord. 
to say thank you just doesn't seem like enough Lord, to, to given by really God feel how we are, how we feel in our hearts activity. as Christians. So that makes this a God May we lose ourselves in what you have for us this upcoming year, that we see how blessed we are, even in the hard times, even in the dark the times of our life, of we our see life. what you are doing, way, Lord, help us short. to see that clearly, God sovereignly establishes that we count it all as joy, that your strength is made perfect in our weakness, Lord. We need you. We, we love see an you. Example of this Be with the rest of our Jesus service today. Last words before In Jesus' name and for your sake. Amen. The apostles are quizzing the Lord Jesus about when the final salvation of Israel would occur. And he says to them by way of reply in verse 7, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. The implication is, that God has authoritatively fixed the times and seasons of what will happen on a global scale, or any scale, because David takes that truth and brings it down to the individual level. In fact, day to day, he says in Psalm 139, verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That's a remarkable statement, isn't it? The entries in David's calendar, if you will, for every day of his life were fixed and recorded by God before he was born, and the same is true for us. So let's read through these verses one more time, and this time think about it from that God-centered perspective. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace." The author of Ecclesiastes, who is traditionally identified as Solomon, he's also called the preacher or Kohelet, all three of those words are used, first tells us that God has a perfect and pre-established time for all to be born and a time for all to die. That's really important because sometimes it's hard to believe one or both of those statements, to be honest with you. As for being born on God's schedule, I've heard many people sometimes, I myself have thought, you know, I should have been born back in the 40s. I think I'd have done a lot better back then in the world as it was then. But this text tells us that like Queen Esther, every one of us has been born for such a time as this. Not just Esther, all of us. God planned that we be brought into this world at precisely the time that he appointed us. Many people have questions about the other way as we look into the future, especially if we have children or grandchildren and we see all of the evil that seems to be increasing and the opposition that's coming on the church. And we're tempted to think, oh, I, don't, I wish they'd have been born in the 60s or 50s or whenever. The truth is before creation, God preset the time of your child, your grandchild to be born. And his promise is his grace is going to be sufficient 
for anything they're going to face at any time, no matter what. That's his promise. In the future, if more grace is required to live faithfully for God, then more grace will be given at that time. If more grace is given to endure persecution or even martyrdom for the cause of Christ, grace will be there for that to happen in such a way as to give them everlasting joy and for God to be honored. No one is born in a time when the difficulties of living for God exceed his grace to overcome those difficulties. That's the promise of this verse. One of the, on the other end of life, it's also difficult sometimes to trust in this when it says there is a time that God has preset that is ordained by a good God for everyone to die. Sometimes when people die, it's really messy. And sometimes it's hard to believe that the timing is controlled by a good God. When a child dies, that just seems like it's wrong. <laughs> when when somebody has somebody in their family die and they themselves are going through a lot of other things at the same time. Many would say, boy, that just feels like lousy timing. The truth of the matter is we don't understand that kind of timing on this side, but that doesn't mean that we can't willfully choose to believe by faith that it is, that there was a time to die for that person, and it was now and to receive comfort from the fact that even though we don't understand all of God's purposes, everyone dies on time. And a loving God engineers that. Now, God's sovereign control over the time of death is especially hard when we watch a loved one go through prolonged suffering, which thankfully does not, in today's more technologically advanced culture, it's not as painful as times before there were medicines and painkillers and all of those things when people went through agony. Many people seem in our minds to die too early, but others seem to die too late because they're enduring a whole lot of suffering and maybe illness or dementia that somehow just seems to be inappropriate especially in the case of a believer's prolonged illness. And we see them suffering, and we wonder why God would have a Christian linger so long if he's going to take them to himself anyway. Those are good questions. A question that many have asked is, why does a person die again at the same time when a whole lot of other things are busting loose in people's lives around them? We don't have good answers to those questions. It tests our faith to believe that God is controlling the timing. But the author assures us that's exactly what is happening. There is a time appointed by God for all of us to die. <clears throat> He's in control. And we can either choose to resent him, God that is, for his timing based on our horribly incomplete understanding of God and his purposes, or by his grace we can accept it in the knowledge that God knows far more than we do. He is a good God and he can be trusted. The author tells us in verse 2 that there is a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Now, in an agrarian society, that probably had a lot more immediate application than it does here. This isn't just about gardening, however. The principle is larger than that. For instance, it could also apply this way. God has a time when a family can put down roots, and other times when you can be quickly plucked up and relocated. That's perfectly valid from this point because the principle is still the same. 
You and your family are very happy in your home, in your job, in your community. You're near your family. The kids are in a good school. You got good friends. You're active in a good church. And then one day you get a phone call and your boss wants you to transfer to another place in a part of the country that you don't know anything about. Well, unless you're in the military, when you really don't have a choice, or some other reason that you just don't feel the freedom to say no to your boss, our natural inclination in those circumstances is to immediately decline the job transfer. Life is so good here, why would God want us to move? The problem, of course, with that kind of thinking is that it assumes that God's default agenda for our lives is our stability and our comfort, what makes our lives the easiest. We must never forget that God's agenda for our lives is to conform us to the image of his Son. And often that's done through trial. Often that can require things like moving out of your comfort zone and the friendly confines of where you're living now and moving into a place where you're forced to trust God and learn how to make new friends. On the other hand, there are times when you have begged God to get you out of a certain place, out of a certain job or an unhealthy family relationship. You've repeatedly tried to extract yourself from that situation and you have discovered much to your chagrin that you are firmly planted. You are established. You cannot reasonably get out of there. That's where you are. And so then you have to learn to trust God to bloom where you're planted. Sometimes it takes more faith to stay in a place than it does to leave. But whether you're planted or uprooted, God's timing is always perfect. Verse 3 says there is a time to kill and a time to heal. This truth is found in places in the Bible other than Ecclesiastes. In Deuteronomy 32, God tells us, See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound, and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Great text on the sovereignty of God and killing and, and healing. Sometimes life ends peacefully and sometimes not so peacefully. There are times when we see senseless killings. It makes no sense to us anyway. They serve no purpose according to what we understand, but God's purpose and his timing are clear to him if they're not to us. He's just as sovereign over the senseless acts as he is over the sensible ones. His purposes are often hidden from us, but we can trust that his sovereign timing is perfect. There's a time to heal as well. When someone contracts a serious illness, especially a younger person, our first impulse, of course, is to ask God to heal that person, and sometimes that is his will. It's certainly appropriate to ask. It's understandable for us to want the healing of a loved one, but sometimes we all know that it's not his will to heal. God's agenda is his glory and our everlasting joy, and if God is more glorified and we can experience more joy in eternity by someone dying than letting them live for another 20 or 30 or 40 years, then that person, and sometimes it's us, will die. Our problem, of course, is when someone we love is sick, we tend to think more about how that's going to affect us and how that's going to impact us, rather than to say, okay, God, this is about your glory, your timing. Those words get stuck in your throat. Verse 3 says there's a time to break down and a time to build up. Again, principially, that can mean a whole lot of things. For instance, it could mean that there's a time for a person's reputation to be brought down and a time for it to be restored. 
In God's timing, there's a time for a king or a president or a superpower to be brought down, and there's a time for another to be raised up. God controls the timing for all of that. He controls the timing for when a person's career implodes, which causes a season of great financial need. But it's also his timing when a career explodes, and that's increased wealth. God sets those times himself. In verse 4, it says there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Well, in the ancient Near East, weeping and laughing, those were more private expressions of emotions. Mourning and dancing, that's a way they did things more publicly. And it's in God's time that things come into our lives that make us weep privately and mourn publicly. It's also in his time when things occur in our life that cause us to laugh and to dance. The text assures us that whether we're weeping or laughing or mourning or dancing, God is sovereign over the timing of all of those things that incite such strong emotions in us. If you're in a season of life marked more by laughing and dancing for joy, thank God because he's put you in that season right now. Conversely, if this season, and it may begin this afternoon, brings you weeping or mourning, remember that that too is occurring at just his time. God is never late in his timing in our lives. Feels like it sometimes, but he's never late. Verse 5 is more of a challenge to interpret. The preacher says there is a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing Gathering stones together, interesting phrase, may very well refer to building or constructing something, while casting away stones tends to mean things like dismantling or deconstructing. The author may want to combine that one with the next couplet, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And if you connect those two, what you get, which is also sensible, is there's a time to build relationships and there's a time to back away from them. There's a time to come together and there's a time to separate. We may not want to be in a business relationship or a particular social relationship with someone for some reason, but God has a way of keeping us in those relationships. There are other times when our heart breaks because a relationship is ending. God's running the clock. It's his time. He's never early or late. At this point, a word of clarification is in order anytime you're talking about this kind of sovereign control by God, because some misapplications easily come when you're talking about this. The applications of these texts affirming God's sovereign control is not a license to become either fatalistic or to try to take advantage of the situation. What I mean by that is if some people hear that, they might bother thinking, well, why bother doing anything? If it's not in God's timing, it will never happen. Why should I even try? Because the means by which God's timing is effected is our effort. So they work together. It's not one or the other. Likewise, it's, it's not right to pray, well, since God's running the show and I'm being met with a decision whether I'm going to move into this person or this place or whatever, I don't have to pray about it. I don't have to get counsel about it. Because it's God's timing and he's going to do that. Well, that's irresponsible. That's not in the text. We continue to need to have to show good wisdom and be careful and seek the will of God and die to ourselves and make sure that we're not doing it out of selfish desires, but out of God-honoring desires. So that's not the point of God's sovereign will. Sometimes people make a lot of logical connections that don't have any logic attached to them, at least not biblical logic. 
if God makes it clear that something we want is not his will for now, or if something that we don't want is his will, it's not about timing. (laughs) It's about doing what we believe God wants. In verse 6, we see that God controls the timing of when we acquire things and when we lose things. This is what's meant by a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. If your company or your income has been downsized, you're going to simplify your life. That's God's timing for that to happen. Likewise, as we get older, as our health fails or as we age, it can become clear that it's time to surrender our driver's license or go into an assisted living arrangement. Very hard transitions, but there's a time when that needs to happen. And our job is to say, it's time. Don't like it, wouldn't have voted for this. It's time, even for this unpleasant milestone. Verse seven says there's a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. It's not clear how those two couplets about tearing and sowing and keeping silent and speaking are related. As it relates to tearing and sowing, it seems to be some sort of domestic issue. Today, I think the principle is we could validly say there is a time for the dishwasher or the water heater or the transmission or the furnace to tear or to break down and a time to repair it or a time for it to be just fine. Sometimes it seems like those domestic crises always seem to occur at the most inconvenient and low cash flow times. There's probably a reason for that. The timing can seem so wrong, and that's because often our feelings are driven by our desire to maintain stability and the status quo. That's not on God's agenda for us most of the time. When those domestic crises occur, this text assures us that even if it wasn't on our calendar, it was on God's calendar. And ultimately, it's for our benefit, even if we don't understand how that works now. There's also a time to keep silence and a time to speak, and we've already talked about this a bit. From God's perspective, it could also be stated this way. There's a time when you will not be in a position to provide input into a situation and a time when you will be free to provide input. Perhaps you've witnessed a situation, I think all of us have been in this situation, when some very bad decisions were made by someone else that we know and it resulted in some very painful circumstances or consequences as a result. And because of what God has taught you over the years, you could have prevented that if you'd been able to speak into that situation. But for whatever reason, you weren't enabled to or allowed to provide any input. The temptation for those moments is for us to become very frustrated and say, if only I'd been invited into that situation, I could have helped them. Well, certainly if we have the opportunity, we should take that and be responsible, but we don't have the opportunity. At some point, we just have to say, that was the time. Trusting God probably here means that we accept the reality of the individuals involved didn't need us to protect them. And indeed, God wanted them to suffer the difficult consequences. That's really hard, especially for a parent or a grandparent. But we've all experienced that if we're in that place in life. Some people need to experience the consequences of their bad decisions and learn from that. 
We have to learn to trust God. There, there are other times when God, in his providence, we are given the opportunity to speak into a situation. We can really have a very positive impact. When that happens, it's because it was time for that to happen, and we can praise God for that. So many of these truths about God's sovereign timing in our lives are especially appropriate for us in the West here, because we tend to be much more enslaved by time than in other parts of the world. Meetings are scheduled to start and end at a certain time. People block out their calendars with events, very specific starting and ending time. Time more tightly constrains our Western culture because time isn't viewed as relative here. But in a whole lot of the rest of the world, especially the third world, time is seen more or less relatively. And so it has less of an impact on life. For instance, if you're going in parts of Africa, if you agree to meet someone at one o'clock, it's just understood by everybody in that culture that what you mean is that you're going to meet that person sometime in the afternoon, probably, (laughs) if it works out. For a lot of cultures, time is relative. It's not that way here. And we tend to be constrained, and so we have a harder problem with this. Finally, verse 8 tells us that there's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This applies to different kinds of relationships, doesn't it? Loving and hating tend to be individual relationships. War and peace tend to be, obviously, group or nation relationships. It may seem that there's never a good time to hate, but God hates things. He hates our sin, which he sees as personal rebellion against him, When we're living under the control of the Spirit, we too will always hate sin and injustice. It's always God's time to hate sin and injustice. There's never a time when hating sin and injustice is wrong. Likewise, war always seems untimely to us, but every war that's ever happened has been on God's time. That does not mean that those who started those wars aren't responsible for their actions. That doesn't follow. But they were in some way operating under God's sovereign hand. As it relates to a time to love, if you've lost your spouse or if you've been burned in a very painful relationship, you may swear that's never going to be time for that again. That hurts too much. We should be open that God may have a time for that. We see God's sovereign timing so clearly revealed in the life of Jesus Christ. His life was perfectly on God's schedule. He was born at just the right time. Not too early, not too late. In a wonderful Christmas text, Paul says in Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus was born precisely at the right moment in history. And if you think about all the things that were culturally present there, the Roman Empire, all the roads that had been started, that went everywhere, that had never existed before, so that the evangelists, there was a lot of things that had to happen for Jesus to be born and for that message to be rapidly spread. It finally happened in AD. B.C. 1-4, whatever the the date might have been, and so Jesus was born at that time. He just at the right time. When he began his public ministry, it was always on God's timing, and that timing sometimes didn't make sense to other people. In John chapter 7, the physical, biological brothers of Jesus come to him, and they say, you're making a big mistake. You're staying here in the sparsely populated backwater of Galilee when you should be ministering in the big time in Judea. That's where all the people are. 
John records Jesus' response in verses 6 and 7. Jesus said to him, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet come. After saying that, he remained in Galilee. Jesus' ministry was controlled not by human wisdom or intuition. It was controlled by God's calendar, what God wanted Jesus to do and when he wanted him to do it. And he operated by God's calendar perfectly every moment of his life. Also, Jesus is the greatest example of a person for whom it was sometimes time to speak and sometimes time to remain silent. Most of his life was talking his public ministry, but when the Sanhedrin questioned him at trial, Jesus remained silent until he was placed under oath. He was like a sheep that was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Does anybody believe that he remained silent because he didn't have answers to their questions? <laughs> no, he remained silent because God says, be quiet. You're not supposed to defend yourself. Jesus taught and he prayed and he answered questions in God's time, not in what humanity might have thought was advantageous. In John's gospel, we read that when Jesus' life was threatened or he would go to a place where he'd be vulnerable to people who were seeking to kill him, several times John explains why it was that he isn't killed. And every time the explanation is the same. You see this over and over in John's gospel, and the reason was because his time had not yet come. Some translations say, but his hour had not yet come. Over and over you read that in John, which is why it's so dramatic in chapter 12, when in the upper room he says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Now he was going to the cross. Jesus is looking at the horrors of the cross, and he's operating completely on God's schedule. The application of all of this is pretty basic, but it's very profound, and it really challenges us, and that is we need to trust in God's timing for our lives. And there are two directions that this is a challenge for us. The first is when things occur that we see to be happening at the wrong time. As we said, people almost always seem to die at the wrong time. It's almost always seemingly either too soon or too late. Other things happen to us. The timing seems completely wrong. This week, I lost my keys. I spent an hour looking for them. An hour. I wasted an hour looking for keys. I was busy. Didn't God know this? And I prayed, okay, God, I need your help. I'm looking. I don't find them. And he didn't answer right away. <laughs> Nobody else, I'm sure, has experienced this. And at some point, you just have to back up and say, guess it's not time for me to find my keys right now. It's hard. The other direction in which God's timing may seem lousy to us is when we think something should be happening now, but it hasn't happened yet. God seems, as he did in my key situation, very late. Maybe you've waited long enough in your mind for a baby to be brought into your home. Maybe you've wondered, with all of your friends getting married, why you haven't had that experience yet. God is late, it feels to you, like perhaps you're in a terrible job, uh, and after months of looking, you can't seem to find a new one. A house won't sell, uh, a new job won't appear, a disease won't heal. God always has a purpose that we would call delay. We say delay. God says, just not right now. 
things happen in our life in a time that's going to honor him and enable us to become more like Jesus, which is what his agenda is. When we struggle with God's timing, our real struggle is over the question, do I want to learn to trust God and glorify him, or do I just want control (laughs) over when things are going to happen in my life? If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Christ, You've never grieved over the fact that God hates your sin and you've been living in rebellion against God as you live without giving him much thought to what you're doing. You need to come to Christ today. We often think interruptions in our schedule. Interruptions, almost everybody here would say interruption is a bad word. Interruption is a morally neutral term. Interruptions can be good. Well, I had a seminary professor who said, Just remember that sometimes the interruptions in your ministry is your ministry. And sometimes the interruptions in our life is our life. And that's the way God wants it. We have to be careful to trust God. If you're here today and you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, remember he hung on a cross. He was suspended up between heaven and earth because he was receiving the wrath of God that sinners like you and I deserve. Out of his great love for us, he died as a substitute sacrifice for sinners. He paid with his own life the penalty that we owed God with our sin. He calls us to trust in him. And if you're questioning whether this is the right time for you to do this, question no more. The Bible says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't put this off. Do you know how many people are in hell right now who said before they died, I will, I will do that someday? And they didn't make it. Come to Christ today and know his forgiveness and know his joy and love and peace and know the promise of eternal life. May God give all of us the grace to trust in God's sovereign timing for all of our lives, for his joy, for his glory, and for our joy. Let's pray. God, on the one hand, it is so comforting to know that you don't make mistakes, that your timing is always perfect. In the abstract, that is so comforting to us. Father, where we struggle is when we have to make a choice to apply it in our lives when the timing feels so terrible. God, give us grace to trust you. And when those things happen, remind us, God, that it's really not about the timing, it's really about whether or not we're going to trust you or whether or not we're going to try to be independent of you. Father, these things are some of the hardest, most practical things in our lives to do. Forgive us for being so autonomous. Forgive us for really do assuming that we're the ones in charge of our calendars. Forgive us for that presumption. God, help us to joyfully admit You're running the show. And then give us the grace to trust you with all of that, in all of the details of our lives. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.